Legends of the Craft. Myth, legend, and inspirational stories from Freemasonry. Welcome to Legends of the Craft with your host, Brother Bungie and Brother Kumsie. Today we're going to be talking about Masonic heroes of the World War II era, in particular of the Holocaust. Now, it, it may not be known by the mainstream society just how, how much Freemasons were persecuted and uh, what, what a big role Freemasons played uh, during the Holocaust. Uh, it seems like the mainstream point of view is, is pointed towards the Jews. I mean, and absolutely, the, uh, the Jews had the greatest losses during the Holocaust, and their story was extremely tragic. Uh, but there are other groups, uh, some a little more well-known, like the Polish and the Gypsies, uh, but there were also other groups, including the Freemasons, that were persecuted just as much uh, as the Jews. It's pretty, pretty sad what happened, Brother Bungie, uh, during World War II. I think it's one of the saddest moments in world history that uh, so much persecution took place, and really nobody, nobody cared. I mean, you, people are going to act like they cared. Countries say they cared, but nobody reacted to it. They sent the Red Cross in to check the concentration camps, but they came back saying they were great. And uh, we know today by historical facts that a lot of governments knew what were going on, but they kind of turned the cheek. Um, and that's sad. And that's very sad. So before we kind of give you some of the heroic stories that took place uh, during World War II, during the Holocaust, we're going to set the pace of what happened with masonry during this time uh, just to give you kind of an oversight um, for these stories and the heroes we're about to talk about. As uh, most of you will know, um, Hitler uh, was, uh, he legally came to power in Germany. Um, he, he ran, he came in second, uh, Hindenburg was the president of uh, Germany. He was a hero from World War I who'd fought on the Eastern Front against the Russians. And so he selected um, Hitler uh, to, to be his, his aide-de-camp in many ways. And uh, when Hindenburg... Uh, passed away in 1933, uh, Hitler became automatically the Reich Chancellor, and he legally came to power. No, nobody believes that Hindenburg was murdered, or there may be some conspiracy theories, but it seems like he naturally died, and Hitler then assumed the power. And it was in 1933 that the persecution of Masons began. The sentiment against Masons began far before 1933, really began in... Um, the 19th century in Paris and Berlin, there were a lot of uh, anti-Masonic movies which tied the Masons to the Jews, and that uh, the Jews had taken over Masonry to spread international um, Jewry, the you know, the banker theories, the control theories that 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 Jews are trying to control the world, and Masonry is basically their vehicles of controlling the world. Now, a distaste for Freemasonry was was mentioned as early, early as uh, Mein Kampf. Correct. That, that's correct, Brother Bungie. In, in 1924, uh, when um, Hitler was in prison in Landsberg, which he was given free reign to write, you know, he was very uh, liberal imprisonment, um, he wrote uh, a little bit about Freemasonry, not too much, but he specified that um, 
and repeated several times in Mein Kampf the Volkish theme that the Jewish Freemasons control the order for their own careful camouflage political ends. Also that Freemasons dis disseminated pacifist propaganda in the Jewishly controlled press and thus weakened the national will for self-preservation. And I'm taking this quote from um, a Quantum Coronata article that was written. Basically that Masons are being used by Jews and that Jews are using the press to, to kind of this, this policy of peace, which was kind of the typical idea of the defeat of Germany after World War I, that the pacifists had destroyed them. They, they were winning against the French and the Americans and the English, but these pacifists took over and basically surrendered, and it was the Jews, and that ultimately um, it was these people that allowed Germany to be overrun. And then they installed the Allied, the Wehrmacht Republic, and they viewed it as a foreign republic. And so a lot of these stereotypes that Germans had were reinforced at this time, which allowed Hitler to prey on their feelings, on their emotions, their anti-Semitism, which allowed for his raised power. Now, kind of going forward now, back to when Hitler became chancellor, if we look at um, a year after he took power, the uh, Nazi party court system basically decreed that if you did not leave Freemasonry prior to January 30th, 1933, you were not eligible to join the Nazi party, which, I mean, this is a big deal in Germany. If you're not a Nazi, then you're in a concentration camp, basically. You had to be a Nazi. Um, so this was not very good news for the Masons. And at this time, there were basically ten Grand Lodges, uh, three of the old Prussian Lodges, as they called them, which uh, accumulated in several higher degrees that were Christian-based, uh, Rose Quad degrees. And then there were what they call these six humanitarian lodges, which were li more liberal. Um, and basically, they actually accepted Jews. The, the, the Prussian lodges didn't accept Jews, actually, amazingly. But Hitler still attacked them anyway. And they fought. Now, now the Prussian lodges, uh, was that due to any anti Semitism on their part? or There probably was some degree of anti Semitism, but the main. Um, the main problem was is that because these higher degrees were Christian, um, or at least they appeared Christian, uh, they didn't allow people of other faiths because it wouldn't make any sense. I don't really buy that argument too much because um, I'm not per se um, a Protestant Christian, uh, but I do possess some of these Christian degrees, and uh, I don't think you have to be Christian to possess these degrees, or at least not mainstream Christianity, should I say. Um, so there probably was some anti-Semitism there. Um, not, probably not completely, though. It wasn't that their official stance was anti-Semitic. But, um, you know, it was then they had this long fight, um, Hitler, to basically destroy these Masonic lodges. And uh, the SS, actually, under uh, uh, Himmler, created a department which was called Section 2-111, which was basically set up just to fight Freemasonry to figure out members' lists, uh, discover rituals, create propaganda uh, to fight the idea of Freemasonry. And as, as Hitler conquered countries, uh, France, uh, Poland, Czechoslovakia, he actually spread this uh, SS department and they, dis they dismantled and dissolved uh, Grand Lodges, lodges, and anything that was Masonic in every country. And they had the occupied nations, I mean the Vichy regime, uh, which had surrendered to Hitler in France, they destroyed the Grand Orient of France. They, uh, they arrested many of these people, the Gestapo. They were put in concentration camps. Their buildings were 
uh, sold off, their equipment sold off. And actually Hitler, in eastern Germany, he created an archive which put all of these Masonic facts and artifacts, which when the Soviets invaded in 1945, they took it back to Moscow. And this, the records are now are becoming available because the Soviet Union has uh, disintegrated. But uh, many of these things were <laughs> – the Soviets then took them because they were interested in the facts because Stalin, being a totalitarian, also um, attacked Freemasonry and prevented Freemasonry in his country because it just seems wherever there's totalitarianism, there's no Freemasonry. Well, just to, as Mussolini did the, the same thing. Right? Absolutely. Um, masonry was almost wiped out in continental Europe. Uh, during World War II, there were just you know basically resistance groups uh, that continued to practice um, in secret. But if you were discovered to be Freemason, you were heading to the concentration camps. I, I, from what I've read, eighty to two hundred thousand, um, eighty thousand to two hundred thousand Freemasons perished in the Holocaust. They really don't know, but that's a pretty big number. Even eighty thousand people murdered because. You belong to the fraternity is is a lot. Well, when you look at the number of of brothers that were in Europe at that time, that that's a major percentage of the population. It's a huge population, and I mean, they say that there was about like a hundred and twenty to one hundred fifty thousand Masons just in Germany. So, I you know those those numbers are from all over Europe, but still, it shows you uh, the great amount of Masons that perished. Now, the old Prussian lodges actually tried to survive. Um, the uh, the attacks of the SS and of Hitler, and basically Goring, uh, one of the uh, Hitler's henchmen, was uh, he wanted to be a Freemason when he was younger, but uh, you know at this point that wasn't happening, and he was in charge of sort of figuring some of these things out with these old Prussian Grand Lodges, and uh, he basically said, well, you can continue to survive if you no longer call yourself Freemasons, you no longer use the word Freemason or Lodge, you no longer use the symbols of Freemasonry. And basically, you sever all international ties to any other Grand Lodges or, or Supreme Councils, and that you have an abolition of all the secrets and of all the references to the Old Testament. So basically, if you give up being a Freemason, you can still be a Freemason, as long as you don't call yourself that. Yeah, yeah, basically. As long as you don't act like a Freemason or call yourself a Freemason or do anything a Freemason would do in... And somewhere in the back of your mind, you can still consider yourself one, and you won't be in a concentration camp. Pretty logical, isn't it? You can lay down your arms. You can lay down your ritual. You can you can give up these things that you've taken oaths to defend and believe in, and we will let you survive. That, that seems like the, uh, the kind of story you hear about all the time, and people have succumbed to those things all the time. It seems to be the only way that these types of regimes can come into power is through the fear of people and through them giving up their their freedom and their liberty, giving up all these things just for the will to survive. Yeah, and, and what's sad is that a lot of the members of the old Prussian lodges succumbed to or succumbed to the uh, pressures of uh, Hitler, and many of them resigned and left because you they couldn't have any opportunities. They were fired from their jobs. And it's understandable with all those pressures on you that your life will come to an end, that you're going to resign. Uh, but I think a few people showed bravery during these times, and and some of them, they they gave up their their principles um, because they, of their livelihood. And, and I can understand both sides. I mean, can't you? Well, I'm more of a uh, follow your principles kind of guy. I'm, I've got a, a a rich heritage in uh, in some of my background there that uh, 
you never give up your principles. But, uh, you know, you, you can see it from both sides. In hindsight, it's easy to say that you're probably, we're going to die or live in complete misery for the rest of your days anyway, so why not fight for it? But uh, I can see, it, in the point of view of the time, you didn't know how long those things were going to last. You didn't know if, if it would be all over in a year, if the Allies could come in and, and take care of you real soon. So it it is it is easy to... It's easy to look back in hindsight and say you should have defended these things. I mean, I would like to say that I would have defended these things as well, and I hope that I would have, or that I will if needs be in the future. But, you know, when you have a family and they're at risk, it's, I think it's a very difficult decision. Um, but ultimately, all the Grand Lodges in Germany were dissolved, and Freemasonry came to an end. One of the Grand Lodges, one of the humanitarian Grand Lodges, which was called the Grand Lodge of the Sun... Uh, in German, which I'm not even going to try to speak any German. Um, they uh, they saw these things coming in 1933, and so they got rid of the square and compass, and they adopted the symbol of the forget-me-not flower, which I think a lot of Freemasons out there are probably familiar with, but they, they use that to identify each other instead of the square and compass. That way they wouldn't get gestapoed, if I may say. And uh, it's still a symbol used today. It's still given to brethren in Germany today to to commemorate the Holocaust and the uh, persecution of Freemasons. So it's very interesting. I mean, we've I have seen uh, a bit about the Forget Me Nots before, but really, uh, uh, I didn't I didn't know what they were. I knew that it was a, a Masonic uh, token, and it was it commemorated the Holocaust, but uh, or commemorated the World War II era uh, Freemasons. And uh, but I didn't really have the history on it before. It's uh, it's very interesting where we get these things, and you know the kind of the background that we as Freemasons have. There's there's a lot of argument over things like the Knights Templars or the operative lodges uh, of of these medieval times, and our our culture is is so rich in these current times, these things that are verifiable, that uh, even though it's fun to postulate on some of these ancient things, it, you don't have to look very hard to find some some wonderful uh, cultural icons that are absolutely verifiable and display the valiantry of, of Freemasons. Absolutely. Um, because, you know, as we will explore in many episodes, uh, this is not the only time that Freemasons have been persecuted. The conspiracy theories behind Freemasonry um, go back way before Germany. Um, the Roman Catholics, um, which are now have no problem with Freemasons per se, the, the papal bull has been lifted, which uh, exempted uh, Catholics from being Freemasons. Um, in the past, uh, Leo XIII declared Freemasonry the enemy of religion and society. I mean, that's a pretty bold claim, don't you think, Brother Bungie? Well, uh, I can see where he's coming from, though, with the... Uh Back in those times, the way that the uh, the church uh, was running things like a totalitarian government and uh, Freemasonry absolutely is the enemy of any totalitarian regime. Uh, it's the enemy of injustice and uh, it, it's the enemy of of those who would persecute and and would put the people through those types of trials. Yeah, Leo, Leo the Thirteenth uh, also wanted to write a book, which was called. Uh... Humanum Genus, which I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, which he claimed that you know that the church basically represented the kingdom of God uh, here on earth, but that Freemasonry represented the uh, kingdom of the earth or the kingdom of Satan. Uh, another bold claim. 
kind of putting Freemasonry as the adversary of all free and good people. Uh, many um, royalists, uh, French, German, English royalists also attacked Freemasonry because um, blaming the establishment of republics, um, mainly in France, that the First and Second and Third Republic were all created by Freemasons, and that um, that it brought equality to the Jews, but that it destroyed the nobility because it took away their equal rights, which they believed only pertained to the nobility, or basically made them equal with the Jews, but... Uh, um, kind of a skewed point of view in my opinion but that's how they viewed it and that's why they attacked Freemasonry. But there's sort of a theme here. Uh, no matter if you're Roman Catholic in, in the past or a royalist from France or a German, it's that Freemasonry is um, the bringer of light. You know, Freemasonry is bringing equality and they're all attacking this idea. It's a bringer of, of liberty. Absolute liberty. And uh, these people didn't, didn't want liberty for all people. They had it good. They were in the class of people that, that had the good life. They had the rich life. And if they had to share that, then they would also have to share in the responsibility that brought them these things. Uh, they, they wouldn't have peasants anymore, to, to use that term. They, they wouldn't have uh, peasants as, as they had in the, in the ancient times or, uh, or the uh, helots that the uh, Spartans used. The, they, they wouldn't have the, the working class that were slaves to them anymore. Yeah, and, and when it comes down to it, that's what people in power fight against, is those that would remove them from power and create a free society and Freemasonry. Is a free society. There was a book I read. I've got the author, honestly, um, and the title of the book. Um, I, I had to read in college. But it, the guy connected that wherever you have fraternal societies, you have free societies because fraternal societies are all based on good government, on elections, on bylaws, constitutions, protocols. And so People that are in these societies learn these procedures, and then they take these procedures and apply them to their society. So wherever you find fraternal societies, you're going to find liberty. You're going to find bylaws, constitutions. And um, I think it's pretty evident, at least in Europe and the United States and the South American countries with all the liberators, they were all members of these, not only Freemasonry, but other fraternities. And, and these these principles of liberty and equality and fraternity were taught, and then they said, well, let's apply these. Let's, let's liberate our country from tyrants. So it makes sense for these tyrants to fear Freemasonry because it, it teaches these concepts to people that they've worked a long, hard time at indoctrinating. They've had, uh, you know, people forget that these tyrants, uh, they didn't just have, you know, the Nazis didn't just have everybody that that opposed them from the get-go thrown into a concentration camp they they also had very rigorous propaganda campaigns they wanted the hearts and minds of the people that were in that society they wanted people to support them they didn't want to rule solely by fear they did rule by fear some of the times but uh they, they didn't always they, they didn't want to do that with everyone I know you've been uh, reading about um, Germany, as I have been, so we could give this, uh, this radio show today. But didn't you tell me you found a very interesting quote um, from Hitler about Freemasonry, almost yeah, praising absolutely, Freemasonry? Absolutely, I did. I did, did. you bring it that seems, with you? It seems, yeah, I've got it right here. Um, so this is actually something I found, uh, the, the Grand Lodge of British Columbia, uh, I found on their website here. Uh, they're talking about Hitler and Freemasonry. Hey, hey don't forget the Yukon. 
and the Yukon. Grand Lodge of British Columbia and the Yukon. Um, it, it's discussing Hitler and Freemasonry. It's a great article here. But uh, one of the quotes, uh, it, it's kind of odd. Uh, it does seem like Hitler is praising Freemasonry. And, and what Adolf Hitler says is, uh, all the supposed abominations, the skeletons and death's heads, the coffins and mysteries, are mere bogeys for children. But there is one dangerous element, and that is the element I have copied from them. They form a sort of priestly nobility. They've developed an esoteric doctrine, not merely formulated, but imparted through the symbols and mysteries in degrees of initiation, the hierarchical organization and the initiation through symbolic rites, that is to say, without bothering the brain, but by working on the imagination through magic and the symbols of a cult. All this has a dangerous element, and the element I have taken over. Don't you see that our party must be of this character? In order. That is what it has to be, an order. The hierarchical order of a secular priesthood. Ourselves, or the Freemasons, or the Church, there is room for one of the three and no more. We are the strongest of the three, and we shall get rid of the other two. Wow, that's interesting. That's really interesting, because it does sound like he's saying, well, we got the right structure, but there's only a place for, for either his regime, for the Church... Or for Freemasons. And so he's got to destroy us, but he, he is saying that we sort of have a priestly nobility, I suppose. Exactly. He says that the, the Freemasons are doing... I mean, it, anybody who, who views somebody else that must be removed obviously has a certain amount of respect for them, at least for their ability to to get people on their side, to make people stop believing in your cause. And if somebody has that power, then... They must be doing something right. If someone can, with common sense can analyze an organization and think that they would be good leaders for them, uh, then they are doing something correctly. It's interesting. You know, we've all seen Indiana Jones uh, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark and then the, uh, and the Last Crusade. And uh, it's obviously a made-up story and very entertaining. Some of my favorite movies, no doubt. Great, uh, great movies. But the truth behind it is that Hitler really did have teams of archaeologists and troops looking for these sort of occult objects, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, um, the Holy Grail, because he was, he was very esoteric. He really believed in the occult. He believed in Freemasonry, from what I've read. Um, he wanted to use that power for evil. I, I believe the swastika is not an actually an evil symbol. It is an, an ancient a symbol of the Native Americans, of the Buddhists, of the Hindus. It absolutely Hindus. is. He just reversed it. It's a symbol of evolution, but he reversed it so it's involution. So he misused these symbols of the ancient times, of the ancient mysteries, to create power for himself as opposed to power for humanity. And it also displays an absolute lack of originality, uh, you know, copying the, the structure, <laughs> copying the structure that us as Freemasons worked uh, long and hard to establish, and uh, and stealing symbols from everybody else, uh, you know, from the Romans, from the Swahili's, uh, from the Freemasons, uh, complete lack of originality, uh, and that just won't do in a leader, which is part of the reason they were overthrown uh, so quickly. Yeah, there's no doubt that he didn't really create up anything that was new. He just took a lot of old ideas. And kind of put a new can on it them. It took a, a new political label. fervor. Uh, there was an absolute, he came in at a perfect time when there was not much of a rebound coming from World War One. People were still feeling the effects uh, 
rather harshly from World War One, and it's it was very easy to create that mob mentality. Yeah. We're talking about recession today in America. From what I've read, people were getting paid twice a day, and they received wheelbarrows full of cash or, or Reich marks, and they actually had to go buy bread at lunchtime. Otherwise, you know, they might need two wheelbarrows full of money to buy a loaf of bread. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. It's it's you know it. It, you, I digress. We could go off on this tangent uh, uh, about how screwed up the Nazis were for quite some time. Absolutely. But I've got a story I want to tell you today. And before we run out of time in the show, I want to tell my story. Um, it's a good story. I'm, I'm going to take you back a little bit here. Uh, imagine, if you will, uh, it's 1943, uh, and we're inside the Nazi con- concentration camp, uh, Emsland Lager 7. Now, deeper inside the camp is Hut 6. Hut 6 is a Nacht und Nibel, or night and fog hut. Uh, there's approximately 100 prisoners that are kept in this hut, and all of these prisoners are political prisoners or resistance leaders uh, that the Nazis want to keep separate from the rest of their captives. Uh, and they want to keep them separate out of fear that uh, these people have the power to incite revolts and the, the power to, uh, to motivate these other prisoners. Um, and they, they've further, they've gone to, to greater lengths to hide their whereabouts from the outside world, including their friends and family. Uh, they Effectively, they made these people disappear. Uh, they took them off the face of the earth. They were no more. Uh, they were hidden in this hut, and they were there all day. They were locked up. Uh, they were Most of them were, were stuck inside sorting radio parts uh, for the Nazis. Uh, some of them they took out into the bogs to work. But effectively, they were isolated from the entire world, uh, except for one half hour a day. Uh, that was their exercise time, and they were allowed to take a walk for 30 minutes under extremely heavy guard. Um, their nutrition was was horrendous. They, On average, they lost about nine pounds a month. Um, horrible, horrible conditions. And under such brutal conditions, most men and women would, would be considered heroes by simply continuing the basic tasks of survival. Uh, but within this particular hut, there are seven brave and true brothers of the craft. All of them are from Belgium. All of them are resistance fighters. Uh, and on November 15th, of 1943, uh, with the help of a Catholic priest, uh, which they used to stand guard, they founded Lodge Liberty Sherry, which is Beloved Liberty in English. Uh, this is the only lodge known to be founded in a Nazi concentration camp, uh, and would have meant absolute brutal torture and death if it was discovered. Um, now, although their rituals were very simple, these brothers were able to initiate, pass, and raise Fernand Irau. Uh, once Brother Erao was raised, they started a regular program of lodge work. Uh, their work included uh, discussing the future of Belgium, uh, certain Masonic symbols, uh, and the role of women in Freemasonry. Uh, they chose not to focus on their situation as prisoners facing death, but they faced the matters that would affect the world of the future. Uh, only two of these brothers uh, ever lived to see liberation from this camp. Um, the rest of them have gone down in Masonic history, uh, not, not just as martyrs uh, for the Freemasons, but uh, martyrs of everything that Masonry stands for. Uh, these brothers did not just survive during their ordeal, but they found cause to truly live and never surrendered that piece of themselves that made them great. They lived and died as true brothers of the craft. 
Uh, and today a memorial stands on the side of that concentration camp. Um, and on the day of its dedication, uh, Brother Wim Rutten, Grand Master of the Belgium Federation of Ladrat Humane, said, We are gathered here today on this cemetery in Esterwegen, not to mourn, but to express free thoughts in public. In memory of our brothers, human rights should never be forgotten. And there's a beautiful, beautiful dedication there. And uh, it, it definitely sums it up that uh, human rights, uh, one of our, probably our main goal in Freemasonry, the recognition of human rights across the board should never be forgotten again. Uh, and it, it is starting to be forgotten. The Holocaust is, is getting a little further and further into the history. It's something that just like uh, other horrendous things that have happened in the past, the, the further away we get from it, the easier it is to, to view it as, as fiction, the more abstract it becomes. Um, but we, we need to continue to remind people of these stories. And that's why we bring this to you today, because it is so important to remember what happens when we forget about these human rights for all. We forget what happens to everyone. We, when we look at things and say, oh, well, it's just the Jews. We'll let them take care of themselves. It's not our people. Well, it's going to be your people. It, doesn't just, it, it may start with one group of people, but eventually it will be you. And we need to remember that. This is a phenomenal story, Brother Bunky. It, it really expresses uh, what we all as brothers should be doing. I mean, to risk our lives to form a lodge in a concentration camp. I couldn't even imagine the conditions of the meeting. You know, we're, we're used to nice air-conditioned rooms and being in our nice suits and, and uh, having all the luxuries of modern technology uh, to have beautiful ritual work, uh, but their ceremonies, I bet, were touching. I bet they were amazing. You know, they may not have been able to pass and raise brothers in the full splendor that we've all received those ceremonies. But I, I bet it would have brought a tear to my eye to see them because um, masonry is an expression of liberty, and to have liberty in this isolated hut number six must have been amazing and it's a testament uh, to our brotherhood that no matter what conditions we may face in the past in the present or in the future we will prevail there are some there there are a few examples uh from this this period in time of the holocaust here that do demonstrate the power of humanity to overcome uh you know there there are many noble features here but humanity is the basis for all of it uh when you look at uh, victor frankel and the way that he overcame uh his trials there i mean he went through e extremely excruciating trials uh the way that he overcame these things was by uh envisioning the way he was going to improve other people, envisioning the lectures he was going to give to his classes when he got done with this ordeal. And the same way that these brothers, when they held their meetings, they didn't hold the meetings to discuss uh, just what was going on around them and how horrible it was, but, but discuss the role of women in Freemasonry. Uh, at that point in time, the, there was of absolutely no concern. They had no women in the hut with them, but it was something that would affect the world and affected humanity as a whole. So it was important for them to remember that and hold on to that humanity. That's uh, the role of women in Freemasonry. It's an interesting topic. It's one that uh, many of the Grand Lodges struggle with today. Um, 
and you know we're both co-masons, uh, brother Bungie and I. So it's something we we sympathize with, and uh, it's interesting that a bunch of brethren who were in a concentration camp gave thought to women's suffrage and liberty, and uh, it's beyond me why they brought up this topic, but it's commemorable. Well, when you're locked in a room with a uh, hundred people of all different all different uh, races and creeds and kind, and you've been befriended by Catholic priests who, at that point in time, did not get along with Freemasons, we can't forget that the Catholics and Freemasons were still not the best of friends at that time. When those are the people that are looking out for you and recognizing you, I imagine it would bring sentiments of of man are are not all people created equal? Not just men. When, when we say, are, are all men created equal, does that refer to mankind or does that refer to males? I mean, it's, it, it's the kind of situation that would make you contemplate those things. Absolutely. Freemasonry has endured um, for many, many years, for many, many centuries. And if we can endure the Holocaust... I think we're going to continue for a long time. I don't think these declines in membership that uh, that many of the Grand Lodges are facing are going to defeat us. If we, if we can get through Nazi Germany and lodges were reformed in 1946, uh, less than a year after uh, Hitler had his downfall, uh, the Grand Lodge at the Sun reorganized um, under different names. There were different leaders, and they struggled for many years to get the lodges operational to – Many people were now inset with this mentality that they couldn't express these ideas because they'd been brainwashed by the Nazis. But they overcame those those obstacles and they started reforming lodges and they and they are doing quite well today, from what I've read. You know, and I don't I don't necessarily see this decline in membership that's being reported. Uh, I what I think is that some people are are becoming fed up with intolerance and they're looking elsewhere. They're they're being spread out a bit more. Some of these grand lodges. Uh, they may not realize that that a lot of their membership that wants to come to a united organization that makes better people uh, in this day and age they they won't tolerate any type of segregation they won't it, it's intolerable for some people to consider that and I think a lot of that membership is coming elsewhere and I'm inspired by the uh, by all the inquirers that we see wonderful young men and women that want to be a part of something that can change society. Their focus is on on what's going on around them and how they can affect the world for the better. This is going to sort of prelude, uh, just to, to, to get off the subject just for a moment, to our next episode, which we're going to talk about co-masonry and its heroes. I mean, we're both co-masons, and it's not a very well-known organization, the co-masons. Uh, we're, we're still quite small, but our ranks are growing. And uh, we've, we've gotten some emails and some inquiry from some of our listeners that want to know more about what is co-masonry. Because I don't think a lot of the regular Grand Lodges, the Grand Lodge of England, the European Lodges know much about co-masonry. And so we are going to take some time to talk about that and, of course, the heroic stories of co-masons. Um, but again, going back to our subject of World War II and the Holocaust, I still find it very interesting that, that the topic of women came up in a concentration camp. Um, but the story, I think, means so much more that it's all about preservation. 
And that's what our rituals are about, aren't they, Brother Bungie? You know, the, the legend of Enoch, the legend of Hiram, the legend of Zerubbabel, all these people. It's, it's about the preservation of knowledge from, from Adam and Eve through the patriarchs uh, down to King Solomon and, and on to today, the Knights Templar. All these stories have a connection. They have a theme. And that theme is preservation, endurance, and survival. And let's not forget dispensation either. It's, it's not about hoarding this knowledge and keeping it secret from the masses. Uh, there, there, there are examples uh, where people haven't disclosed the fullness of the truth, all of the facts in, in history. The, the people who have preserved this knowledge don't go forth and share everything with everyone, but they do give everyone the opportunity to decipher these things. And those who are worthy of this knowledge they will find it. They will find it eventually. They do it through using their stories and their parables. Uh, it's, it, it mustn't be forgotten that the knowledge isn't to be hoarded. It isn't to be secret. It isn't to be removed from everyone else. Uh, there doesn't have to be 100% disclosure, but, but there always is. If you're willing to look in the right places, uh, you can find all of the answers that you seek. It's about disseminating the knowledge not giving it and just passing it out on bro brochures or pamphlets. It's, you slowly disseminate the information to society. I mean, what was um, the revolutions in Europe, you know, that Freemasons had a hand in, the revolutions in the United States, the scientific achievements, whatever. Uh, they were all dissemination of Masonic ideals. Not, again, handed to the person, but slowly introduced in a way that was action-based as opposed to just give it on a plate and hopefully somebody will take it. Now, I, I actually read a, a very interesting quote uh, uh, recently, or actually I read a very interesting passage, and I'm going to quote it here. Uh, it's actually from a novel I'm reading, uh, It's Timeline, by Michael Crichton, uh, and they're discussing the advances in, uh, in the sciences. They're talking about how so many tools have been developed to advance the sciences in the last uh, several centuries. And it, it has advanced phenomenally. You look at the tools that we're using today compared to the tools that Galileo and Newton were using, and it's, it's, there's absolutely no comparison. Uh, we have advanced so much, but in the humanities, no further tools have been developed. We're still... In, in the study of the humanities, in the studies of this ancient knowledge, we're still using the exact same tools that our ancient brethren were using. Now, whether this is an advantage or a disadvantage, uh, I'm not sure, but I do know that this, these tools that we have been using have kept the spirit of these humanities alive for as long as they have. And uh, this oral history through these myths and legends has been one of the, the most used tools. And our brethren here in the night and fog uh, camp, um, they didn't have tools. They didn't have altars and uh, pedestals and pedestal covers and swords and officer jewels and ballot boxes. Uh, they didn't have uh, nice chairs. They didn't have any of this. But they still were able to conduct Masonic ceremonies because really all you need is the tool of myth, legend, and heroic stories. That's what makes Freemasonry is, is human contact, is the webbing 
of people's ideas and bringing them together in a unified cause of expanding the humanities. And so you only need people. They, under the worst conditions possible, formed a Masonic Lodge, and they were able to initiate, pass, and raise. And, and this is one of the beauties of Freemasonry is that, you know, unlike a very centralized structure, uh, it can prevail even if you cut its head off. It's, it's like the Hydra. You, you cut its head off, it pops up somewhere else, and you can't stop Freemasonry. Absolutely not. Uh, it, it's something that successfully has affected the hearts and minds of, of people in every generation since its founding, um, which we don't really know when that is. So it could have been affecting people for time immemorial. It's, it's been passed on. But uh, it, it's so arcane that uh, we don't know when we were founded we don't know exactly where we came from but uh but we have endured from whenever that was uh which tells me a lot because we know when things happened uh for for quite some time now we can trace back the history of of most all organizations but we can't seem to trace back freemasonry um it's it's something that's been going on for a long time and absolutely will endure and you know i really hope that if someone finds out where it came from that they destroy the evidence um, and I don't mean that to be malicious towards Freemasonry, but in its support, if if you if you pinpoint what it is and it becomes a science and a textbook equation, uh, another sentence in an encyclopedia, well, it destroys the magic of Freemasonry. And we don't want to destroy the magic of Freemasonry. We talked about this in our last episode. We don't want to debunk Freemasonry. So what's the purpose of finding out where it came from, you know, uh, or if it had a specific purpose that we're not following? You know, there's so many things that, that that destroys myth and legend, and let us make it what it is, which is the betterment of humanity. And we don't need to know where we came from to know where we're going. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, these tools they do uh, they express what we need to know about where we came from. The oral histories that we have, uh, you know, these these facts don't necessarily matter about the specific dates, specific times, um, you know, somebody's appropriate name. These things uh, they may matter to us today because we want to be remembered for who we are, and some somewhere back in our mind we want the publicity. But truly, as an organization, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. What matters is the spirit in which we were founded. And I believe that through this oral history that we've been presented with, that spirit has absolutely been preserved. That spirit of, of our ancestors is, is absolutely still alive and remembered uh, just as well as if we had the textbooks telling us exactly where it came from. We should also take some time here to pay a little bit of homage, uh, not only to those that paid... Uh, the price in the Holocaust in concentration camps, but those brethren who were not Gestapoed in place in concentration camps that went on to be freedom fighters because from what I've read, uh, obviously not all, but but many prominent Freemasons, those that really believed in the craft, uh, went on to fight in France, Czechoslovakia, and Poland as freedom fighters, as resistance fighters to the Nazi regime. And many of them perished in the fights that ensued, and uh, they carried on the the standard of Freemasonry. And there's many of the brothers in those humanitarian lodges where if your focus is on on humanity, then how could you not go and fight these regimes? How could you 
how could you stand idly by and let these things happen in front of your face to people that you know, people that, uh, even people that you don't know? Uh, when you can see the atrocities that are being committed, how could anyone who claims to be a humanitarian not go forth and fight these things? Especially someone uh, who's a Freemason, who's taken oaths towards humanity, who's dedicated their life to the preservation of freedom and liberty. Let us all hope is uh, not only is us the host, but you as the viewers that that we would fulfill our Masonic principles um, to the T. It's more easy said than done, but uh, as long as we aspire to do our best, I think that's the best we can do. And uh, aspirations is, I believe, one of the things Freemasonry can give us: is goals to make things better, goals to make ourselves better. And uh, without goals, what are we? Now. Before we uh, sign off tonight, I would like to uh, I'd like to let you know the names of the brothers that were part of Lodge Liberty Sherry, um, and we would like to say thank you to uh, Brother Paul Hansen, Brother Luke Summerhausen, Brother Jean De Shriver, Brother Jean Sug, Brother Henry Story, Brother Amade Micolette, Brother Franz Rochat, and of course to uh, to the brother that uh, was passed and raised in Lodge Liberty Sherry, Brother Fernand Irau. And as always, uh, if you have any questions for us here, uh, please feel free come to uh, co-masonry.org. Uh, drop us a line. Drop us uh, any questions you might have, uh, any information you might want. Uh, let's try to remember these brethren that uh, I just mentioned here today and try to give them thanks and, and remember what it is they did for us. Um, this has been Legends of the Craft. Uh, we're shining off for today, uh, February 10th. 6008 Annus Lucius, and we will talk to you next month. This has been Legend of the Craft. We hope you've been inspired, and we'll tune in next month for more myths and legends of Freemasonry.